With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where we are late into the season and we've got the conference title races shaping up. Uh, and we've got some some potential chopping blocks. We've got all kinds of, of stories that are finally crystallizing as we start to get the payoff from the beginning of the season. It's the last week of sunlight, y'all. It's almost the end of... Is it daylight savings time ends or daylight... I don't know. It's, it's ending almost seasonal affective it's disorder the season. part where you fall back into sadness and sleeping in until noon. All right, especially if you like the Indiana Hoosiers. What a bummer. Um, well, yeah, before, we, need to, we need drinks before we get to them. Yeah, so before Tri- we do that, Windfight Tri Brewster of the Week is going to come to us from Rutgers territory, that being, of course, Brooklyn, New York, and it is Meltdown. Hey, this isn't even about you this week, Rutgers. You've managed to not get blown the fuck out by somebody by wisely not playing a game. So instead, we're going to take this beer from your territory and raise it. I'm going to raise mine personally to one Nate Stanley, a guy who I've tried to talk up as being like a Ben Roethlisberger kind of clone, and he, he basically plays like Ben Roethlisberger does on the road, except only in meaningful games that he plays like that is kind of what we've seen. And I'm going to go for Wisconsin's offensive line. Number one rushing offense in the country, all of a sudden, couldn't do a goddamn thing against the Northwestern Wildcats as Wisconsin emphatically coughed up it's stranglehold on the Big Ten West. I don't know if I would blame the line for Taylor fumbling twice and backup quarterback Jack Cohn also coughing the ball up, but we'll get into that in a little more depth later on. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll start with the Friday night game and probably the most Indiana football moment we've seen since last week's Indiana football game. I mean, the, the other thing that makes us so Indiana football is that, like, all right, there's a very good performance against Penn State. There's essentially you just matched him blow for blow. So now you're going to go on the road against a much, much worse team and play the exact same game. Yeah, there's certainly a little bit of playing to the level of the opponent with Indiana. We saw them give Ohio State a bit of a fight earlier in the season, and we see that every year now. It seems like against the best teams, they do punch up and manage to make it interesting. Against inferior teams, they play flat, they play bad. Peyton Ramsey played terribly for the first half. Yeah. He He was missing guys. I kept watching this game and saying, you know what? Peyton Ramsey is a lot better than he's playing right now, and he showed me exactly what he was talking about late in that game with a beautiful series of passes for touchdowns. Yeah, that I mean, the team as a whole turned it around dramatically. Maybe part of it was Minnesota laying their foot off the gas a little bit, but if you're Minnesota, do you think really that P.J. Fleck lets the team with this level of talent, shall we say, relax at all in a game like this when they're, un, you know, they're winless in conference? I don't think so to that greater extent. It was just Indiana played dramatically better, and they rattle off 22 straight points, tie up the game, and then they do the whole Lucy pulling the ball away at the last second thing again. They give up a 67-yard bomb on a busted coverage. Now Minnesota's got the lead again. There's time left. 
But it did not feel like Indiana was going to pull that one off as well. And didn't they immediately fumble? I believe so. Yeah. Well, if it wasn't immediately, well, they immediately it was, it was it soon. They, 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 I believe they did fumble it pretty quick. And in fair, this comeback was enabled by a series of unfortunate events on Minnesota's offensive end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's kind of another team playing the typecast over the course of the season. Minnesota gets a great performance out of Shannon Brooks, and then he's hurt. Not clear if he's coming back. They end up sticking with Tanner Morgan, and this offense looks like it runs so much better with him that really, you kind of wonder what the staff ever saw in Zach Onyxstadt over him in the first place. I mean, maybe Onyxstadt has a higher ceiling or whatever, but this offense works a lot better right now with him. Yeah, I I really, that is is baffling because he has been, I don't want to say a revelation because he's only been a revelation to us. He shouldn't be a revelation to the staff because he's been there the whole time. But I mean... If you're a Minnesota fan, the thing you got to be most excited about is the is just how much you beat traffic out of this game because everybody <laughs> left this game at halftime. Yeah. Um, yeah, y'all right. deserted your team on the field. It was nice and quiet for the Indiana offense. Well, you know, except when they tied the game and people started booing. I mean, <laughs> shit, even at Illinois, we usually at least wait until our team is losing to start booing. I mean, it usually doesn't take very long, but still, we at least give them the courtesy. Yeah, it was weird. Wait until we're actually losing the game. That was real weird. I, I Maybe, I don't know. Part I'm of glad me, I wasn't the only person that noticed that. Because no, I did, yeah, and it was weird to me, too. Part of me wondered, like, is this just like the old guys who are who don't like Fleck in the first place who are making their pleasure known? But I'm like, no, because they're the ones who would have left to beat traffic, so. precisely it's it was mystifying but in any case minnesota gets off the schneid in conference play for the season i think they moved to what four and four overall um yeah four and four overall their first one in the conference um promising matchup with illinois next week so not totally out of question for minnesota to get to a bowl game yet um if you're indiana it what i observed on hoosier twitter and again it would be a mistake to assume that the sorts of twitter feeds that we follow are necessarily going to be representative of the entire fan base's opinion. Not to mention, you know, if you're just talking about, yeah, fan bases in general, during then you a can, game you can, that you is can, going badly, yeah. you can more or less sum up the the you know the actual pulse of the fan bases by uh, versus what we see on Twitter with what Mike Gundy said about reactions on Twitter <laughs> and criticism on Twitter, which was, I don't pay attention to Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he is my favorite, honestly. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. if there was any chance of him being Michigan State's next head coach, I, that would, I would be as happy as I could possibly be. There's probably no, I don't think there's anyone I'd rather hire. He, he runs fun, interesting offense, and he's a fun, interesting person. But Mike Gundy versus Mike Leach in whatever the hell you want to call Illinois versus Michigan State. Tell me you wouldn't watch that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so I sort of get the vibe that Indiana Twitter is over Tom Allen, like, officially, firmly, completely. Uh, this is year two for him? Yeah. So, what are you saying to the coaching candidates if you say, here at Indiana, you have to be winning? I mean, what was the goal this year for Indiana? Given how much they lost on defense, what was the goal for Indiana this year? I would say six games. Six games, and so they, again, losing this game is not a great thing. Now you get a bye to think about it. But uh, who else do they have? They've got Maryland and... Maryland, they play Purdue at the end of the year. Well, let's, <laughs> let's take a look at yeah. the rest of their schedule. I mean, yeah, okay, so they can they have home games with Maryland and Purdue sandwiched around a trip to Michigan. So Yeah, make no mistake, this was a devastating loss for Indiana's bowl hopes. This was a huge opportunity that they had. 
that they absolutely let slip away, and they're not going to get a lot of opportunities like this. You got no margin for error anymore. Uh, I don't think you're going to have to beat a team that's substantially better than you to go bowling. Yes. I'm not going to say that Maryland is, but I you think beat, they are. But you yeah. beat Maryland, and every other team on the schedule is substantially better than Indiana. Yeah. Which, you know, they've fought Michigan close before in circumstances when they shouldn't have, but we've, we haven't seen them pull off that win. And, and you, this you is a better it. Michigan team than I think any of us really thought. Yeah, but the moral victory isn't going to do you any good here. you got to put the ticks in the win column. I mean, unless your APR is just out of this world and you want to be one of those teams that backs in at a 5-7 and seven record, which just puts you at risk of being an 8-loss bowl team. I don't think that's a... I don't think you want that late-stage New Heisel UCLA stink on you, so... Maybe resist that temptation. Oh yeah, if you that, that ends up with you. Or no, I, I stand corrected. They ended up six and eight one year because they yep. ended up playing in the Pac-12 championship game. Yep. Yeah, that was as the uh, six win champions of the Pac-12 South. Out. Monsters. Yeah, that, that that was the one where they played in the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl in a game between two teams that had fired their head coaches coming into the game <laughs> against Illinois. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, so there's, honestly, that, that Pac-12 South division race that they had a few years ago, we have a chance of seeing that replay itself in the Big Ten West because of Northwestern's atrocious non-conference. Now they have Notre Dame, so they could easily end up a four or even five loss division champion. But uh, anyway, we're getting a little and bit ahead of Yeah, as, if you're P.J. Fleck, then um, I guess congratulations. I guess dressing up like Purdue helps you beat Indiana. <laughs> Yeah, it was like a big old Halloween. Why not dress up as the thing that scares it in the I'm most? so discouraged by the fact that uh, teams wearing alternate gray uniforms both won this weekend in the Big Ten because I was hoping that we would get losses out of both of those teams so that then I could say, see, look what happens when you put on that gray or anthracite or whatever the hell you call it. It's gray. Well, I think oh, Minnesota's was anthracite, which, you know, of course, well, that's a nod to their coal industry in Minnesota that right. they have, right? Renowned. <laughs> So, we'll roll on along a little bit here. Nebraska beat Bethune-Cookman. Not much to say about it. Um, Bethune-Cookman apparently had some runses on the sideline during that game. Yeah, all kinds of stopped up. Yeah, hey, Um, if you're going to have to... Hey, look, if, you know... I like that they uh, that they're getting the most out of that that trip. You know, if you're going to go and be a tomato can for a big-time team, then uh, go ahead and get everything you can out of it. Yeah, so if you're Nebraska, I guess you're satisfied here that... You got the game. I mean, I think Frost put it this way himself. You're basically happy that you got this. You executed well enough that you got all the important players out of the game quickly and didn't have any injuries or anything. And that you played well enough that when you add this together with the Minnesota win last week, Ohio State being in a little bit of a funk itself, maybe you do have a chance in that game. Maybe you throw a couple wild haymakers and see if you land one. Maybe these ongoing questions about, oh, is Urban Meyer on his way out the door? Maybe there's enough distraction in the air? Probably not. It Um, seems hard for me to believe that Ohio State is going to have back-to-back performances like that. Right. Well, certainly they're not going to be that bad. And, I mean, last year they got their doors blown off by Iowa and then Oh, who did they play next week? How did that go? I don't know. Who can who can say? Who remembers? So, very glad that Nebraska is between us and that sort of Ohio State this time around. Maybe they'll work out some of that, some of those feelings. Maybe hit the jewel and you know feel a little bit better after it. But not a whole lot else to say here. Um, let's go to a game that I know you want to break down in detail. Maryland sixty three, Illinois thirty three. Well, functionally, this game, the score in this game was really it was over at forty nine to twelve. After that, Maryland started putting in their. <laughs> is that when this game? Is that when it was over? <laughs> well, I mean, 
The reason that that 33 went on the board was because Maryland put in their walk-ons and we just started, all right, I guess, you know, because Rod Smith hasn't given up on his job yet as offense coordinator. Hey, let's get a bunch of our guys some uh, some nice film on tape for when they all transfer at the end of the season. Yeah, fuck you, Maryland. I play your defense. I, I have this vote of confidence because you know, you know why I did it, really? Because I knew I, I had the strong feeling of playing them against Rutgers earlier in the season. That would have been like a 50-some point week because they got like six interceptions or whatever it was. And I passed on that, and I was like, you know what? This is probably not... But no, Illinois actually has a better offense than I considered. And I also didn't consider that Canada would just, as you said, pull every scholarship player after halftime, basically, on defense. Well, because <laughs> you didn't really... I mean, again, they, in the third quarter, went up 49-12. to 12. Um, Maryland put up over... Maryland, by the way, uh, not a good offense. Um, they have had a massive lack of success this year. Uh, they have the ability to run the ball... Can't pass the ball unless it's against Illinois. And here's the thing, like I keep saying, we never even really got a chance to see whether or not this scheme could work because Illinois is so goddamn bad at running that base cover two scheme that Maryland can, you know, Maryland of all teams can beat them throwing over the middle against cover two, which is exactly what cover two is supposed to take away because we're just so bad at it. Of course, that's nothing compared to how bad that we are at containing the edge rushing. I mean... This is by far the worst defense Illinois has ever fielded. Our defensive coordinator resigned. Um, you had, I mean, uh, former players just started saying cryptic things on Twitter about, uh, you know, what this actually might mean. And that, oh, you know what? Tell you one thing. There is still talent on this team. So I don't know. I think that um, there's just uh, the Lovey Smith era is all over but the screaming at this point. Um, you, think he's gonna, you think he's physically capable of screaming at this point? Oh, no, I mean, everybody else is screaming. Oh, I see. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it, so... Frankly, you know what? I'm I'm really upset here because... Well, obviously I'm upset, but, like, I... Even at... I, I never liked the Bears very much, but I've always liked Lovey Smith. I've always defended the guy, like... But by for the as end, long as I can remember. Yeah. For, I, I mean, even going back to the Bears, I really liked him. I really liked the cut of his jib. I always liked his accent. I liked listening to him. I liked his whole philosophy. I thought... He treated, you know, the NFL players real fairly and professionally, like Bill Parcells did, and, you know, made him very likable and stuff. But uh, I hope we fire him, and I hope he goes and chokes on that $12 million buyout. I honestly do. I can't believe, I feel completely betrayed, I feel stabbed in the back, and uh, Josh Whitman, athletic director, I don't think he's a stupid man. I still don't blame him for hiring Lovey Smith, but he's got to know that this isn't going anywhere. Um, yeah, and I mean, if you're looking for reasons to keep him around, about the only thing at this point is that you have a couple of recruits that could conceivably... We have two four-star recruits coming in, one on each side of the offense, or one on each side of the ball. They would need to be so good in order for this Lovey Smith thing to be, like, viable for the future. They would need to be so good yeah. that in 2020, we assign Marquez Beeson jersey number 50 and Isaiah Williams jersey number 77. That is how good they would need to be. No recruit, (laughs) no single player ever makes that much of an impact on a team. And you you would ideally be able to stack that with all the experienced and still young players that Illinois has. The problem is... They keep leaving. 20 players or something like that have left, transferred, been kicked off the team. Well, at this point, like, virtually everybody... I mean, a a, a huge amount of players uh, that Lovey Smith inherited are gone, um, but also so are four players that Lovey Smith brought in. And 
they were all fairly important. It was a quarterback that started half our games last year that I still think I still think would be better in this offense than AJ Bush because he's still the, he still would have been the best runner on this team. Uh, you had, of course, freshman All-American Bennett Williams. Um, you had Lou Dorsey at tight end, and then you had um, a guy that was going to be a big-time offensive line project, Ruben Unijay, who was redshirting this year, but was the third highest-rated commit in the 2018 class. Yeah. And well, when you're losing these key players from these classes that were ranked 10th and 12th in the Big Ten, and your whole thing is we're going to elevate the talent level of Illinois, you're not doing it. You're not out recruiting Tim Beckman. Well, how? Wh- what are you doing? It's you gotta have some level of success to sell for one thing. Um, it's easier for a guy like Jeff Brom, for example, because he has a recent prior coaching stop where you can say, "Hey, look what I did there. Imagine what I can do with you, better player than what you know compared to what I had there." You know, if you don't have that success to sell recently, that's the risk and bring yeah, and this guy who hasn't coached in college. And the other thing is, and, right, year three of Lovey Smith. We've got the worst defense in school history. So his whole thing is, look what I did with these NFL defenses. What is he going to tell people? Look what I can do on defense. This could be you getting dunked on by Maryland's like seventh running back. This could be you allowing a guy to take five carries for three touchdowns and 140 yards. There's just, I, I, I'm just, who the hell is going to believe anything that asshole has to say anymore? I, I can't believe that he, he's even capable of putting a product this bad on the field. Uh, again, much worse coaches than him have put better products on the field for Illinois. This is bullshit. This is inexcusable. I hope that we get rid of him tomorrow, and I hope he goes, takes that $12 million, fucks off somewhere, and never returns to the state of Illinois. Because I sure won't be happy to see him. Anyway, All right, Michigan, Michigan State, State <laughs> definitely played a game. Uh, they did, yeah. So... I, I was hopeful that we would win this game, but there was kind of a lot of unanswered questions after the Michigan debacle the week before. Uh, probably fair to say that MSU is the best defense Purdue has seen this year. Probably fair to say that Purdue was never going to match the caliber of game they put out against Ohio State because, I mean, Purdue was on a four-game winning streak. They were playing some incredible ball on offense. Sooner or later, tendencies are going to be put on film. Guys are going to have a little bit of a down day. That's clearly what happened. You go on the road to, you know, it's to gray, gray, gray ass East Lansing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, did did it it snow there before the game? No. Uh, It it was raining, I think. I don't know if it rained in East Lansing, but it was rainy that day. Um, People always say, oh, Michigan State's got the green uniforms. They should do the thing where the guy lies down on the field and tries to blend in. No. What they should do is raise the field level a little bit and then wear the gray uniforms that everyone's that are so popular these days. Not only Hell would the yeah. not only would the crews love it, it would be lit, fam, but also Oh shit! Them shits is gray, motherfucker! But also, if you have the field high enough that you can see the skyline in the background, you'd blend right I mean, eighty percent of the time it's fucking <laughs> cloudy in Are you suggesting that they make the football field like the court at Minnesota basketball? <laughs> or like the field in Eastern Michigan, basically. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man. The factory. Oh god. We still have to make we it. Stay, yeah, we there, do. Uh, before they fold the football program. But and again, to get back to the game we're actually talking about, uh, MSU did get a few pieces back on offense that really helped. Uh, it also helped that they benched Brian Lewerke and his busted ass shoulder. It turns out Rocky Lombardi was ready to go the whole time, and you can't look. I'm. Did you watch this nobody, game on TV? I watched some of it. Okay, so. I, I assume that you heard the announcers just making up all kinds of shit about Rocky Lombardi. 
Man, I mean, his name is first name's Rocky and his last name's Lombardi. Boy, what a name for quarterback. Oh, look at those flowing blonde locks. Boy, just a competitor. If you were to draw up a name for quarterback, well, how about Rocky Lombardi? And you just probably thought, oh my God, this guy's going to get his ass kicked now that they're saying all this shit, right? <laughs> well, yeah. It, it's so, quite admirably. I had a wedding on Saturday and the ceremony was at 1.30 and we were on the road but so I was able to listen to the first, most of the first half on the radio, and then the ceremony happens, and got back to the room but for the gap between the ceremony and reception. It was like late in the third quarter, I think, so we didn't miss a whole lot of it. I didn't miss a whole lot of it. My girlfriend, I'm sure, missed all of it and didn't care, but um, I saw enough of the game that I had a pretty good idea of what was going on, so... Again, it's fair to say at this point in the season that if MSU had had better injury luck on offense, they probably wouldn't have looked like such dog shit on that side of the ball. Although there's definitely a little bit of dog shit built into how they want this offense to work in the best of cases. And then the last thing I would say is, I've heard some people wonder whether playing Rocky Lombardi instead of broke-ass Brian Lewerke would have given them more of a chance against Michigan. Sure, it would have given them more of a chance. I still don't think they would have won the game. Would they have cracked 100 yards of offense? Yes, I'm positive of that. And why exactly? Because Lewerke didn't practice the week before the Michigan game either. They LT knew he was Scott hurt. was back for this game, though. He was. Not that he's a huge difference maker, but he's probably the well, best back on the team. Yeah, he is. But he's not a difference maker because this line remains so terribly bad at run blocking. And that, of course, because we can't just have a thing without a silver lining. Now Jordan Reed is hurt, who is the only offensive lineman who's played every game at the same spot. We're now down to one guy from the starting group at the beginning of the season who's played every game so far. So Tyler Higby's probably going to have a piano fall on him this week or something. But, you know, you roll with the fortune that you have. Nobody feels bad for you for injuries. And getting, I mean, we saw with Daryl Stewart and Jalen Naylor back that having more options certainly helped. Apparently, Cody White is almost all the way back, could play this week. If you have him back, you're still down Felton Davis, but you've got pretty close to your full complement of weapons. The defense has remained pretty damn good for the most part this season. A little vulnerable to your up-tempo passing attacks, but who isn't? So, yeah, it was an encouraging win. Um, if you're Purdue, I didn't really see any Purdue fans that were that upset about this game. It seemed like they were expecting a bit of a letdown after that Ohio State virtuoso performance. Yeah, how would well, they, you they, not? They, they performed right at capacity there, and you can't you, I mean, things overheat, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah. And their running game couldn't really get going, and no, they were they, really intent on... You know, putting pressure on the quarterback and yeah, statistically, statistically their running game looked okay, but that was really because of a couple of longer runs that dragged all the averages up on a down by down basis. Purdue's running game was not very efficient. They're and kind that, of behind the sticks a lot. And the other thing was Michigan State was probably the first team to do a good job on Rondale Moore, who had 11 catches but for only 75 yards, and I think his long was like 10 or 12 or something like that. So. They did a good job at locking up a firecracker of a playmaker. Um, I played him anyway because I don't learn. I don't know anything. I'm terrible. Did you also play Andy Isabella? Did you play both receivers uh, no. in rain games? No, I didn't. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Andy Isabella, UMass receiver. And thanks to his heroics, UMass got down like two scores to UConn. But also thanks to his heroics, they won. So anyway, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, went on the road to Northwestern, and you know what? This brings us to backup quarterbacks who were decidedly not ready to go. When I saw that name, Jack Cohn, you just picture like five years from now saying that name to a Wisconsin fan, and, and they ask their, like before the game even, before this game, you see the name Jack Cohn, and you think in five years if you say to a Wisconsin fan, hey man, how about Jack Cohn? You just picture them going, oh my god. God! And then they pull, like they pull their, uh, they pull their emergency feelings cheese wheel out of their pocket, and they're like, 
Let me tell you, I don't know how to do a Wisconsin accent. I'm not even gonna bother. But well, let me tell you, let, <laughs> let me, me tell you, let me tell you about that. Fu- well, I almost did that fucking, fucking guy. Continue. <laughs> he just he got up and left the room. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, clearly Wisconsin did not trust Jack Cohn to run the full offense here, and you can see that in his passing line where he averages five yards per completion, which is almost impossible to do in the course of a full football game with a normal offensive flow. At the same time, however, you know, him making his first start, kind of hard to blame the coaching staff for keeping a little bit of a tight leash on him. But this is a game where kind of some of Wisconsin's worst tendencies sort of reared their ugly heads. On the one hand, the defense clearly not as good as it used to be. On the other hand, Jonathan Taylor, two more fumbles, which brings him, I think, to 10 for his career that were lost. Not a great look. Um, and then, you know, again, by, by virtue of no real greatness or achievement of their own now pat fitzgerald and northwestern are a head-to-head win over iowa away from absolutely locking up a trip to indy despite likewise force feeding a run game that was massively inefficient because again it's a it's opponent refused to stop throwing paper they're using this short inefficient passing game taylor couldn't get anything going in the run game and there was no downfield threat at all from wisconsin which i mean the passing game I thought, honestly, without Quintez Cephas, they would still be okay in that dimension because they had a lot of other options. A.J. Taylor's been a big disappointment. Danny Davis hasn't really done a whole lot. They clearly miss Fumagalli as, at the tight end position, although Ferguson's been okay there. I talked for a long time. You got anything to say? <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. You're back Like now. When you're against Bowser, you've got to be able to avoid all these smash attacks because if lands any of them, they're gonna they're gonna drive up your percentage a lot. You just wait for him to jump, and then you run under him, and you and hit you the grab axe. the axe, and then you, yeah, then you exactly. And Wisconsin, <laughs> despite having the axe already, yeah, they, they did got, not use it. Come on, Wisconsin, is, what are you doing? You know what this is? This is just a consequence of having the axe for what like seventeen years straight now, whatever it's been. You, you forget that you even have it. All you gotta do is chop the rope, and you you would have won this game. Uh, you're in for a long four years of Mario-related jokes when we talk about Northwestern, by the way, because it looks like Bowser is going to be their next, Justin, <laughs> their next, next Justin Jackson. Oh, sorry, that was supposed to be Bowser, but it ended up sounding a lot more like that stupid canned wildcat noise. <laughs> for some reason, I noticed that even more when Penn State does it than when Northwestern yeah, does. They do the exact same noise. Yeah, it's terrible. It's like a it's a very high school thing. Both of you should stop. Not that anyone who has that decision-making power is going to hear this, but speaking of Penn State, um, this had this 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 might be the dumbest game of the year. Um, I where mean, even where even to begin? Wisconsin scored twenty-four points without an offensive touchdown. They scored two safeties in the first half. He means Iowa, of course. Yeah. Right, I'm sorry, Iowa. Yeah, Wisconsin. Two safeties whatever. in the first half. Neither of which were really because of anything they did. It was just. Penn State dwarfing two punts in like the the dumbest fat and the funny thing is like right before the first one I think it was wasn't it Fowler that had the call on this game I'm pretty sure Fowler I'm had the call sure. on it but whoever because it was I also had a wedding right in the middle of Penn State territory and the uh, the ceremony started <laughs> at four o'clock Eastern half an hour after the game of course I was more focused on the Maryland game which by the time I got to the ceremony it was seven to three and because of course I was in rural Pennsylvania once I got to the venue. There was just no cell service anywhere. By the time I regained cell service after like a 20-minute ceremony, it was 28 to 9. And I was like, damn it. But I did have the pleasure of going around and telling everybody, hey, when I last saw this game, it was 5 nothing Iowa. <laughs> Which, they weren't so much upset that Penn State was losing as, oh, yeah, wait, but 
Five nothing. And Why so is that's, it five nothing. That's the first thing we have to observe here is that we had a foomph in this matchup for the second year in a row. In fact, which box, means that by, in the box score, there's a five yeah, in Iowa's second quarter. quarter. Yeah. So by by a undeniable divine football law, these two teams must play every year for all time. You are now most hated rivals to each other. Sorry, I know you're far apart. You don't care about each other, but it's happening. You can't not have teams get to five in consecutive years and then just let that series go like it doesn't matter. This is meaningful now. This It just matters more. So it seems that the thing for Iowa to do in all of their games is to have both quarterbacks in the game complete fewer than 50% of their passes. I guess. This bodes well for <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. Because, um, man, Nate Stanley was real bad. 18 for 49! Real bad. Thir- wait, that's... He threw 31 incompletions. That is a large number. That's as many as three tens plus one. And that's terrible. I'm so glad. <laughs> I knew, man. I knew you'd spike that shit if I said to you. Right. All right. So, uh, yeah, he, he takes his turn. And maybe this is also a good time to point out that really, aside from Dwayne Haskins and to a lesser extent McSorley, it has been a miserable year. Well, Blau, too, yeah. yeah. So you've got three quarterbacks in the conference who are not just dog-ass at some point. And, I mean, like, really, what even would be the worst performance in a single game by a Big Ten quarterback? It's got, it's, Sikowski is still... Sikowski against Maryland is, yeah. is the Mount Everest of terrible quarterback performances. It will... Yeah. Like, there... If you were to build a statue of Sikowski, what would it be? It would probably just be... By the way, why are we calling him that? I'm pretty sure that we decided his name was Butkowski. Well, I don't know, man. They didn't play this week. Maybe he earned himself a sit. Uh, <laughs> but no, Good I mean, boy. there was that. There was the A.J. Bush game where he completed two passes, like having played most of the game. Uh, Brian Lewerke had a 5 for 25. Zach Onyxstad had a, had a terrible... Who did they play when he was just absolutely awful? Was that the Ohio State game, I think? No, because they were competitive no. in that game. He had a stinker somewhere along the way, too. Because I, I know like what I thought... Like a 10 for 32 or so. Or something like or that. Worse than that, even. But it, it's, just, it's been a really bad year for quarterback play in this conference. Um, and then, I mean, again, the way this game started, on the one hand, it was like, wow, everything has gone Iowa's way that it possibly could. And on the other hand, it was like, wow, they're really not winning by as much as they should be. You get the two safeties. You have a brilliant fake field goal call that ended up in what's got to be a Heisman finalist play. Um, Sam Brinks catching like an over-the-shoulder Kind of badly thrown ball from the punter who was in a holding position. Like, a short lob throw. Like, the most dangerous, terrifying play. And then it works. It's like, oh my god, yes, that was the best thing ever. And in spite of all that, like, they were never up by more than double digits at any point. And then the game completely flipped. And I, I knew this game was over on the play that I'm sure every Iowa fan who was watching it remembers. Third and one. to go. Yeah, third and one. Hard play action. Beautifully sold play action. Hawkinson's streaking down the middle of the field, nobody within a mile of him. And Stanley, I don't know if he like didn't see him or or what, but he missed it so badly. Uh, well, are you sure that you're not thinking of that time that it was first and goal at the Penn State 3 oh, yeah. for the Hawkeyes? Um, down six points. Now I'm under a little bit of pressure. It's first and goal. We have a decent running game. Not a terribly effective one today. But now but, it's time to call an audible. All right, all right. Green 19, blue 58, blue 58, said hut. Blue 58, and uh, now Noah Fant is not sure what his assignment is, and while he's thinking about that, the pass hits him in the head, <laughs> and Nick Scott picks it off and returns it to the nine, and oh my goodness. Yeah, so... What Wait a minute. <laughs> Noah Fant. Uh, you remember Noah Fant of the 
unbelievable game-losing drop against Northwestern last year. Yeah. <laughs> Great tight end. Has lost some games in incredible fashion. Still probably a first-round pick. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, if, if you're Iowa, this is a season that will end up being defined by your losses a lot more oh, really than by your wins. Um, missing that chance against Wisconsin. Missing a yeah, chance that Wisconsin loss has aged poorly. Yeah, well, that and the fact that if you win that game or this game, you are the one that's in control of your own destiny in the Big Ten West. Now you've got to beat Northwestern, and I think... No, you know, with the way the standings are... Oh, you man, no, you've got... I'm sorry, you have to beat November Northwestern. Yeah. That's a tall order. This isn't even their final form. It's still October. Yeah. <laughs> so Remember, you... Early October Northwestern wins games, but does so in the dumbest ways you can imagine, but November Northwestern is a machine. Yeah, so good luck with that. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!